Right. Well, have you ever looked back, right, at a time in your life and you just thought, man, I was a bit of an idiot. I was a bit of an idiot back then, right? Have you ever, uh, do you remember believing something at a certain point in time and you look back now and you're like, man, that was totally wrong. That's not true. That's not true at all. I, this, here's one for me, right? A bit personal. Uh, I used to think I had a very legit chance of dating Taylor Swift, all right? That was me. And I, like, this is not a joke. I thought, I'm seriously in with a shot here, all right? So one of my friends went to a T-Swizz concert and she got invited backstage to meet T-Swizz, the queen herself, all right? And I thought, but this is great. This is absolutely great. All I need to do is buy a concert ticket and then obviously I'll get chosen to go backstage because this, all right? Okay, I'll go backstage and then I'll meet her and then I'll just charm her with my wit and then we'll just date and then she'll write like a good album about me, not a diss track and then we'll just get married, we'll have a hundred kids, it's going to be great, all right? We are going to be the new love story. It's going to be real, it's going to be us, it's going to be really good. Uh, that didn't happen, that didn't happen, all right? Looking back though, I go, that was probably never going to happen. That's a pretty dumb thing, all right? But like in my defence... By the sound of most of her songs, I thought, she just wants a guy that's going to stick around for, like, over three days. <laughs> I can be that guy, all right? But it didn't happen, didn't happen. But we often, we often look back and see that we were wrong about stuff. Uh, science has this as well, right? There's a bunch of things that we used to believe back in the day and we don't believe anymore. In the uh, 14th century, get this, as late as the 14th century, that's not too long ago, right? They thought, uh, a group of people, not all of them, thought that lambs, meh, grew on trees, right? That lambs grew on trees. There's someone showing you exactly how a lamb comes to be. Obviously, that's wrong. Or that the earth was flat, right? That the earth was flat. Although, apparently, this is back in fashion now, all right? Flat earthers, am I right? Raise the roof, love that. Just don't walk out too far, you'll fall off. But we look back, and there's been some wrong ideas. We look back and we go, man, some stuff's pretty stupid. Christians have had some bad ideas in the past as well. Like if there was a storm, Christians like, well, God's pretty angry, all right, watch out for that. Or they'd see someone with any type of mental illness and go, well, there's a demon, demon cranking right there. There's a bunch of crazy things that we look back now and we go, that's just not true. That's not true. Who's heard of Stephen Hawking? Who's heard of that? Ah, look at you guys, right? He, he, he did die earlier this year, which is very sad, but he was, he was one of the smartest dudes in the world. He was a really smart dude. And this is what he had to say about the, the idea, the Christian idea of a God creating the universe. This is what he said. Before we understood science, it's natural to believe that God created the universe. But now, science offers a more convincing explanation. Get what he's trying to say there? In the past, we thought this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back then, we didn't know about DNA. We didn't know about the Big Bang. We didn't know about evolution. We didn't know about any of that. But now we've learnt more. We don't need that anymore. That's an out-of-date idea. We don't need that idea. Is it the case that we used to think God created everything, but now that idea has been debunked by science? Has science disproven God? That's the question. We're going to be looking at it tonight. And I think it's a really common question, right? Hands up if you've heard this in some way, that science has disproven God. Most people, right? You hear it a bunch at school, you'll keep hearing it at uni, you'll hear it at work, you'll hear it from your mate. It's a really common thing. 
And there's lots of different pieces to it. And it's usually said as well with this piece of, you can, you can be a Bible person or you can be a science person. But you can't be both. You've got to pick a side. Which side are you on? Bible person, science person, right? Has science disproved God? Well, this, this might surprise you, but I want to suggest that science and God aren't enemies. They're not enemies. They're actually friends. We're going to spend a bit of time looking at this. But the main reason for me saying that is that there's just no real beef between them. There's really not. We like to think that science and the Bible are fighting one another all the time. That's what they're doing. And you can only have one, like we just said before. But I don't think the Bible clashes with science anywhere near as much as we like to think it does sometimes. And that's because science and the Bible have different jobs. They've got different jobs. They're not actually trying to do the same thing as each other. All right, we'll, we'll dig into this a bit more. Um, science, science tries to tell us what and how. They're the questions that science tries to answer. What and how. What are the things that make things up and how do they interact to work, right? So um, science can tell you what, what are the pieces of you that make you work. What are the pieces of your DNA and how they, how they interact? But the Bible doesn't deal with those questions. It's largely kind of just not the point. The Bible and Christianity deal with the, que- the questions of why. Why? Why are we here? <laughs> why am I here? Why do I feel love? Why can I appreciate beauty? These are all things that science can't answer. And it shouldn't have to, it's not its job. Because the questions of the Bible are questions of purpose and not performance often. It's, it's like science and the Bible are competing in different sports though, right? So I love sport, right? I love sport. Uh, I, watch, what do I, I watch the NFL, I love NFL, I go for the Carolina Panthers, they're pretty, they're okay, they're alright, but I like them, they're my team, alright? But then sometimes I watch some NBA and I go for my, my Boston Celtics, alright? They're good, my dad went for them, I went for them. I watch the A-League and I don't watch the A-League, it's pretty bad, alright? But I could watch the A-League and I'd probably go for the Mariners and if I did watch it, apparently I'd get to see like Usain Bolt. You want a cheeky run down the sideline, huh? I'm going to be like in Kinney Maccas and I'll be seeing Usain Bolt there. It's going to be great. Got a whole other plan for that. It's going to be good, right? But if, if you came up to me, we're going to be best friends. It's going to be so good. But if you came up to me and you're like, what's your favourite team? Well, that would be something on my answer. Like, what? You're like, no, no, no. What's your team? I'm like, um, I just told you. Like, You can only have one team. Pick a team. I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. They're like, you're a traitor. You're a man of betrayal. You can only have one. I'm like, I don't, I'd say that they're in different sports. I can have more than one team, right? They're doing different things. Science and the Bible are in different sports. They're doing different things. And when you get that, you can actually read the Bible the way that it's supposed to be read in different parts. So actually, I'm going to show you this stuff in action, right? We're going to look at the first two chapters of Genesis. We read a little bit uh, just before. Um, and, and this part of the Bible is often one of the most kind of argy-bargy parts of the Bible, where people think science and the Bible are fighting, right? But I want to show you that doesn't need to be the case. They don't need to be fighting. And the main thing to kind of see, so that we can recognise that, is that Genesis isn't straightforward, 
There's always been this biff between science and the book of Genesis. They love it, right? And on some levels, you can kind of see why. I understand it, right? Because science estimates that, what, the world's like four and a half billion years old? That's a very long time. But if you would trace back the, the, the generations of people from now, and you can kind of track them through, you're going to get a number closer to seven to 10,000 years old. There's a difference there. You can see why there's a bit of biff. The, the account in Genesis shows the, God making the world in six days, right? But science and geology are going to tell us, no, no, no. Things take billions of years to be made. It just doesn't add up. How do those things fit together? How do they fit together? Well, to work that out, that complex thing out, you're going to just need to be able to do one thing. All right? Just one thing. Do you know what that is? Read. You just got to be able to read, all right? Now I reckon you guys can probably read, I'm going to say. I've got nothing actually to base that off, but I reckon you can probably read. And I reckon it sounds pretty easy. You look at the letters, they make the words, yeah, yeah, but there's actually more to reading than that. There's more to reading because there's different types of books. Right? I'm sure you get this, but if I gave you this book, right, what are you expecting to find? You're looking for facts and you're looking for pieces of the body. You're looking for that type of stuff, right? How things are, what they're doing. What about if I showed you this next book? Are you going to read that the same way you read the science book? You're not going to, right? This is a story. It's a made-up story, purposefully made up. What about the next one? You're going to read that differently to the last book again, even though they're both stories, but they're different types. And you get this, right? You recognise this. What about the next one? Right, you're going to read that different to history. You're going to read history different to story. You're going to read story different to science. Different types of books you're going to read in different ways. They're doing different things. How do you read Genesis? That's the tricky bit. Because people try and read it like it's a mix between a science textbook and a history textbook. But I don't think that's what it is. I don't think that's what it's doing. Particularly chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, not so much the rest. It's not trying to tell you the exact process of how the world was made. It's not written, when you read it, it's not written like this detailed science account or, or historical. It's, not, it's closer to poetry. It's like a poetic history. We're going to get into this, right? Here's into some broad things for you. It's like poetic history. It is saying real things that really happened, that are true, but it's using a bunch of this poetic language to make its point. Here's an example, right, that, that might help you kind of understand the vibe. Australians all, let us rejoice, for we are young and free. What song is it? <laughs> Yes, love it. National anthem, right? Represent. We've got a pretty boring national anthem, actually. Other countries are heaps better. But does anyone know what the next line is after that? It's, we've golden soil and wealth for toil. Now, imagine this, right? You hear that. Australia. Golden soil. So you swim over from whatever country you're from, probably New Zealand, that's a pretty close country. You swim over, you grab a shovel, and you just heading out the backyard. Thank you very much, suckers, don't even know what they got here. And you start digging. And to your amazement and your astonishment, there's no gold in the soil. And you're like, I have been ripped off. 
I mean, this is a stitch up. This song is a stitch up. Does anyone know the lies that this song is just spurting out to everyone? There's no gold soil. There's a stitch up. I'm lied. I've been, I feel lied to. It's a box of lies. That's what it is. The song's a box of lies. I don't know how it's a box, right? <laughs> so is, is it right then to say that our national anthem is wrong? Is it wrong? No. It's not wrong. It's just trying to say that we've got sweet beaches everywhere, kind of looks like gold soil. It's just we've got sweet beaches. That's, that's its point that it's trying to make. So it is saying something really true about Australia. It's saying something true. It's just using poetic language to do it. And Genesis is kind of similar. One and two. Genesis one and two. Kind of similar. Real true things. A lot of poetry in there that you kind of got to work out which is which. Now, I'm going, to sh- I'm going to try and show you some of this from Genesis, right? To do all of it would take way too long. I'll show you a little bit. If you know the account of Genesis, it shows how over uh, six days, God creates a bunch of stuff and then he rests, right? Check out the screen. So on day one, I've kind of just broken it down for you. It's a lot to read, but day one makes day and night. Day two makes the sky and the sea. Day three, he makes land and plants. Day four, the moon and the sun. Day five, the birds and the fish. Day six, animals and peeps. That's us. Represent. But there's actually three ways you can kind of read that. All right? there's, there's, there's about three ways, I reckon. Firstly, you can take it as six literal 24-hour days. All right? Now, could God have done that? Could God have made the world in just six days? Absolutely. A hundred percent. If there's an all-powerful God of the universe, he can make the world in six days. He can make the world in three and a half days. He can make the world on his lunch break. He can do what he wants, right? It's not, it's not out of his reach to do that. He can do anything. But am I convinced that that is what Genesis 1 and 2 is actually trying to teach me about how God created the world? No. No, I'm not. As, as I read it, I don't think that's what the author is trying to communicate with us. And if you disagree with that, that is totally cool, right? People have disagreed with this heaps. That's fine. And there's plenty of wonderful Christians who have disagreed about it for ages, and that's fine. I don't think that's what Genesis is trying to say. So if you want to chat after, that's fine. But that, that, that's the first option, right? Option number one. Option number two, you can think that the six days represent six periods of time. So this view would say there are six distinct periods of time when God made the things that he did. And so the the thing that it's trying to show is the order. So you keep the order. That's what this view would say. But, you know, they're not straight 24-hour days like the last option. They could be, you know, one day could be millions of years. Another day could be billions of years. But you keep the structure. Does that make sense? Right? And and this makes some sense, I reckon, because there are good reasons, I believe, to think that they aren't the 24-hour human days that we would know, which we'll get to in a little bit, some of those reasons why I don't think that's the case. But this view, the second view, uh, says that this was the order stuff was made, but the period of time can be millions, billions of years. Take your pick, right? Could God have done that? Absolutely. Of course he could have. But again, I'm not convinced that that's what Genesis is actually trying to say, and I think that's the point. The third option is to read Genesis 1 and 2 like it's a form of poetry. Check out the screen again, right? And look what happens if we break down the days a little bit more. 
So on the left, day one to three, right, you get all the spaces that God creates. So day one, he makes this expanse, allowing light and dark. Day two, he makes the sky and the sea. Day three, he makes the land. So on days one to three, God's creating space. He's creating form, right? And on the right, day four to six, he's going to fill the spaces that he's just made. And so he fills the light and the dark with the sun and the moon. He fills the sky and the sea with the birds and the fish. He fills the land with the animals and the people, right? Form and filling spaces and things that take up the spaces. That's a poetic type of writing. And it's still saying something really true, that God made those things. And it's saying more than that as well, but it's using this poetic way of writing to do it. And what it's trying to show, I take it, that God intentionally made the world, that he rules and is distinct from. And it keeps repeating, you'll find over and over again, right, it was good, it was good, it was good. The world isn't an accident. It's one of the big things you you just can't get away from in Genesis 1 and 2. God made the world as a place of order and intentionality. God did those things, which is different to a bunch of other things that were happening around the time this was written. You've got to appreciate when something's written, it's written in a time where people are asking certain questions and things like that, right? So when we read this, we've got different questions than it was meant to answer because written so long ago, right? Around the time this was written, there are a bunch of different creation accounts from different religions across the place, and they were kind of somewhat similar-ish to Genesis. But they would say things like, the world was made after a bunch of gods were fighting up wherever they were fighting, and one would like stab the other, its guts would spill out, there's the world. All right, that, that was what they were saying. But this, the guy who writes Genesis is going, no, 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 no. Our God, the one God, not the many, the one God made this world on purpose. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's ordered. And he made it with intention. It was written in a time when other countries thought that the sun and the moon and the stars were all gods. And so they'd worship a bunch of them for a bunch of different reasons. Genesis says, no, no, no. There's one God And he makes the stars, and he makes the sun, and he makes the moon. And the idea of this six-day creation is a technique used to show us the things that it's trying to show us. Which is why I don't think that the Bible is trying to say that God made the world in six days. Here's a couple of reasons I think that as well, right? Firstly, the order of creation is different in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 if you read it carefully, right? In chapter 1, out of these three things, so you've got plants, animals, people, that's the order they're made in. Plants first, then animals, then people, if you go through chapter 1. In chapter 2, verse 5 to 7, people were made before any shrub or any plant. So, like, is the writer of Genesis just an idiot? Like, has he just forgotten what he just wrote a page before? No, I don't think he did. I just, he's not really caring about the order, because that's not the point. Secondly, the, chap- the whole chapters of those two, right? It's not just little bits and pieces. The whole, those whole chapters read poetically. Um, I'm sure a bunch of you done poetry stuff in school, right? Well, not heaps of it has changed. Some, like two key techniques in, in poetry. Rhyme, repetition, repetition, repetition. Poetry direct for you all. You're welcome, right? This has both of those. This has both. 
Um, what's an example of the rhyme? Verse 2, the, the, the earth was formless and empty. In the language that this is written in, rhyming words. Something like, tohu wabohu. Thank you. You're welcome. All right? I speak no Hebrew. But repetition, there's heaps of repetition in this as well. This one, you can't miss, right? You don't need my bad accent to work this one out. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, let there be, let there be, let there be. It was good, it was good, it was, there's repetition throughout the whole thing. It's all over the place. It's got bunches of aspects of poetry throughout those two chapters. Thirdly, uh, notice on day one, God creates light and dark. What does he create on day four? Sun and the moon. Makes the sun. I don't know how the light's getting there without that. Which, which also makes it, like, the fact that he makes those on day four also makes it difficult to work out what the days are that he's speaking of. Because a day is it's like the amount of time it takes the earth to rotate, right, on itself in relation to the sun. For the day and the night, for the end of the day. Sun rocks up in day four. There's just a couple of reasons, right? Well, I don't think Genesis 1 and 2 are straight scientific accounts of exactly the process of how God made the world. So I don't think Genesis is trying to say that God made it in six days. And I also don't think it's saying that he didn't make it without any form of evolutionary process. He very well could have. But it is trying to show you that God made the world without aid from other gods and he's made it with a purpose. It is saying that God is the one who orchestrates the universe. He creates what he chooses to create. He's powerful. He does it with intention. And he chose to create people, us, as the highlight of his whole creation. Because the whole story slows down when it gets to people. You get more about people than anything else there. And he makes us with this intention of knowing him. Get that all throughout chapter 2. A snapshot, though, of chapter 1, right, in 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're made somewhat like the one who made us. He relates to us. He cares for us. He thinks of us. So with all that, there's kind of one snapshot of a, one of the biffs between the science and Bible, right? And what I'm hoping that you've kind of picked up is that there's not much of a biff at all. They're doing different things. In fact, to go further, I don't think they're just not enemies. I think science and the Bible can be good mates. I think they can be friends, right? Science has brought a number of people closer to God. A guy called Francis Collins is the director of the American National Institute of Health. He's got a rockin' moustache, and it's great. And he's one of the greatest medical scientists in the world. And this is what he said. I believe God did intend, in giving us intelligence, to give us the opportunity to investigate and appreciate the wonders of his creation. He's not threatened by our scientific adventures. And so, we can keep exploring the world and making scientific discoveries, and it will not disprove the existence of God. Because through his creation, God has left evidence 
of his existence. Through his creation, God has left evidence of his existence. Have a listen to this from Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what's been made, so that people are without excuse. God has left evidence of his existence. Like people leave fingerprints wherever we go, right? God's left his fingerprint on the stuff he's made. You see the creation, you get a glimpse of the one who created it. You ever trekked up the top of like the Skillion, Crackneck, something like that? I think I went up the Skillion maybe once. That was enough for these legs for about my whole lifetime, right? But you get up the top of something like that and you look out and you just can't help but go, wow, it's, it's so big. There's so much to it. It's so beautiful. There's so much to this. I can't, I can't even fathom it. God has shown himself to you in the creation that he's made and that he's made for you to enjoy and me. Science is really good, right? Science is great. Science put a man on the moon. That's pretty cool. I don't really want to go to the moon, but that's pretty cool, right? Science can treat and cure disease. Science can invent Wi-Fi. That was an Aussie guy, by the way. Jamie loves Wi-Fi. Me too, my friend. It can tell you like how you exist and work and how your body can work. That's great. But it cannot tell you why. Science cannot tell you why you exist. But the God of the Bible can. Acts 17 will come up on the screen. If it doesn't, you can listen. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Goes on to say, He Himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. But why has He done that is the question. Why? Why did He make everything? Why did He make people? Why did He make me? Goes on to say, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. You can know your God. He's done this so that you might reach out and find him. He's left evidence of his existence. You can come to God. He offers you not just explanations of how things work and what they are, but why they are. Why you are. And I reckon some of you have spent a chunk of your life using science as your go-to dismissal of the existence of a God. A bunch of my mates did, right? And as long as you've kind of had that card up your sleeve, you've felt fine not needing to acknowledge the existence of a creator. But what do you do when that card's gone? What do you do when that's not a reason? Will you keep on running? Or will you stop? And find the God that reaches out for you. He's left evidence of his existence. Next week, it's Coast Youth Revolution. Amen, Jamie. It's going to be good. I'm very excited for it. 
And in that, we're going to be talking about how to come back to God, the one who's made you, the one who cares for you, the one who's left evidence of his existence. So come along. You don't need to keep running. It'll be good. How about I pray? God, you are powerful. You are mighty. We want to thank you that you are that way. We want to thank you that you've made everything with a purpose. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. You made it with purpose and with intention. We want to thank you for that. And we want to thank you that you created us. You didn't need to do that. So we want to thank you that we exist because of your power. And we want to thank you for science. We want to thank you for those who, who study it and look at it. And we thank you for the fact that it can help us appreciate how big and awesome you are. And I want to ask for those of us here tonight who feel and know the need to come back to you. I pray that they would. Amen.